postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up a white flag and saying, ah, it's all the secular people's fault, and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic how can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. Hey everyone, it is Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church podcast. We are now in a Padanar season six, and in this season, I want to explore a theological paradigm that has the potential to handicap our mission and our witness in the world. Now, I know that sounds super epic, right? You're like, what is this thing that Pastor Marcus is talking about? This sounds terrible, but it's not all bad news. I'm actually, you know, we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about the flip side of it, the truth that has the potential to catapult us with missional power and beauty into the world and, uh, and really glorify the character of God. Um, and so this paradigm that I'm speaking of that has the potential to do this damage, uh, the interesting thing is that it's not actually a part of our fundamental beliefs as Seventh-day Adventists. So this entire season, we're not going to be talking about something that's in our, in our fundamental beliefs, something that's in our history. Um, We're going to be talking about something that's actually quite foreign and in some ways quite modern, but it's being increasingly taught in a lot of different sectors in our church. Um, And I really do believe that if we don't address it, if we don't think about it, if we don't process this biblically, it can really strangle our mission. And in fact, I would go so far as to say it's already doing that in certain areas of our church and our church life. And to be clear, in case you haven't read the title of this season already, I'm talking about headship theology. Now, you might not know what headship theology is, but I promise you, you have heard it preached or taught at some point. Maybe you haven't heard that particular phrase. Uh, So in this season, we're going to define it and we're going to examine it in light of God's heart. And I say we, because I'm not alone for this task. I am joined by the brilliant, articulate, and spirit-filled speaker, author, and counselor, Nicole Parker. Dude, I am so excited (laughs) to have you on this podcast. We've been talking about this for forever. Um, So, Nicole, it is my pleasure to finally say welcome to the Story Church podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me come on the podcast. I'm so excited. You know, this is a passion of mine. I've been studying it for years, and I just I just see such a vision of the glory of God that I want our church to be able to embrace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we go through this series, guys, um, I'll mention a paper that Nicole has written, and there'll be some other resources as well that you can download for free on, on the website. I'll point you to all that stuff as we go along. But for now, Um, I want to just pause on this giant gargantuan topic that we're about to engage just to ask, Nicole, could you tell us a little bit about the legend of Nicole Parker? (laughs) There's very little to be said about the legend of Nicole Parker, (laughs) but I'm a mom, I'm a wife, 
Um, I'm uh, teaching at Southern Adventist University now in the School of Religion, and just as an adjunct professor, I teach biblical counseling and sexuality and scripture. So I um, come from a background of being extreme conservative Adventist for many years. And then it was, it was honestly headship theology that made me question whether I was conservative or liberal, because um, I actually, the, the paper that I wrote was years ago, and I just started grappling with this concept. My husband and I had been a part of a church that we ended up leaving partly because they ordained a woman elder. Then um, there were other issues, but that was kind of the icing on the cake. We're like, well, this, this movement doesn't work for us. So we moved to a different church. Um, and then I started studying this issue of ordaining women and I was firmly against it. But the more I studied, the more I started realizing we got this wrong, don't we? We've got this wrong. Wow. And, and so um, I started switching um, sides theologically, not so much saying we have to ordain women, but saying the stuff that's making us decide not to ordain women is not the right theology. And suddenly a lot of the conservatives just attacked me. And I was just like, well, wait, wait, I'm... <laughs> I still believe in the Bible. I'm still solidly, you know, I'm, I'm with you guys on everything else. You know, here I am, this homeschooling mom who bakes her own bread and doesn't have a TV and, you know, yeah. eats almost completely vegan. And, uh, you know, I'm like the epitome of conservative homeschooling mom. And yet they're like, but if you don't see this exactly the way we do, you don't believe in the Bible. You are, and I'm just like, wait a minute, is this really, is this really a box where I fit? So I started taking apart um, some of the things that I believed one by one and examining them and realizing I, I can't identify as a conservative and I can't identify as a liberal. Mm -hmm. um, I'm right here solidly on the fence in between choosing everything that I believe based on scripture to the best of my ability and humbly admitting, look, I don't always interpret everything right. That's why I need the community of the church mm -hmm. to discuss things and see things with new eyes and have somebody else say, well, here's some history you don't know. And, you know, so, so it became a journey rather than I have arrived theologically. And yeah. so it's been really interesting and I'm, I'm still journeying, <laughs> but I, uh, I love, I love studying scripture and I guess you could say I'm an aspiring theologian. Someday I hope <laughs> to grow up to be a theologian. <laughs> Man, dude, I, I can, you know, I can resonate so much with, with, with what you're saying, um, because I, 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 you know, I, I don't know where I fit into the spectrum of conservative liberal either. Like, I'm just like, my liberal friends are like, Marcus, how could you still believe this stuff? Investigative judgment, you know, sanctification, you know, and then my conservative friends are like, you know, why aren't you standing on these particular issues? And I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible, man. I'm just like reading the Bible and doing my best to like reflect the heart of God. And it's like, I just don't fit into either camp. You know, what can I say? <laughs> um, and that's so the I, thing. I, I don't think that we should. I, I think it's hazardous to let other people tell us what we believe. If you're on my mm -hmm. side, you have to fit this list. And this is where I can thank conservative Adventism because they're the ones who taught me. Nicole, you cannot follow a few leaders, no matter how spiritual they seem, 
no matter how much they seem like they're preaching the word, if they speak not according to this word, then you just move on. You know, you say, hey, praise the Lord for the good things I learned from you. But they taught me you have to make the Bible, the word of God, your foundation. And as I did that, it, you know, led me to some conclusions that made me not fit into some aspects of that camp. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, so th- I'm still the homeschooling mom with 14 teenagers <laughs> now, and I, <laughs> I still look like I'm the conservative mom, still dressed carefully. You know, you won't find me running around in spaghetti straps, but whatever. <laughs> but theologically, I'm just like, the world is my playground. I'm going to find what the Bible actually says to the best of my ability and follow that and keep growing. That's it, man. I love it. I love it. So let's, let's do this. Um, let's, let's do some defining here because, because I, 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 I kind of started out by making a pretty epic claim. Um, the claim that there's this theological paradigm that is not a part of our theological system as a church. It's not historically in our thought. It's not systematically in our thought either, but it's doing the rounds and you're finding it, you know, sort of anchoring and calcifying itself in different pockets and different regions of Adventism. And even if people necessarily haven't necessarily heard the term hedge theology before, they have most likely encountered it in one way, shape, or form. And that this thing strangles our ability to achieve our mission as a movement. So that's a pretty big claim. So let's start with this. Tell us, uh, give us a definition. What is headship theology? Wow, that's the big one. Um, I find headship theology is the belief that some people are supposed to be elevated over others, um, at least spiritually. So that typically means that men are supposed to be elevated over women, um, that they are supposed to be the ones that, you know, hand out the communion bread. It's fine for the woman to cover up the, the tray and, you know, all those kinds of things. And when I was in college, you know, we, we did a communion service while the girls made the communion bread, the girls, uh, you know, put the tablecloth on the table and all that, but we had to have a male break the bread and hand it to others and, and all those things. And, and I just accepted that that's the way it is. We practice baptism. Only the males went forward to practice dunking somebody at the front of the class because we were never going to do that. Um, and I never questioned that. That was just, you know, I never intended to become a pastor anyway. I just knew when I was 18 that God had called me to ministry and that there was nothing else, literally nothing else I could do with my life. So I assumed that meant I was going to starve as a missionary in some tropical place until I died because the natives killed me or something, you know, (laughs) but headship theology made me believe that I was not capable of being um, in leadership. Of course, I was a soul winner. I was called to be a soul winner, but I thought, well, I'll be a cult porter. I'll, you know, give Bible studies to people. Ironically, I thought, well, I can be a Bible worker, which is basically doing exactly what pastors did in early Adventism. (laughs) But I thought that was okay for a woman, but not to be a pastor because pastors are supposed to be the heads of churches, which Ellen White said pastors were not supposed to be the heads of churches, but whatever. Headship theology teaches that males are supposed to be in positions of authority over females. 
and and where exactly because i'm thinking here i'm kind of thinking back to to the paper that you wrote which which by the way for those of you who are listening um i only read it what was it like three weeks ago maybe three or four something weeks like ago? that yeah i probably yeah, sent it, it to it you then. Three, yeah about three or four weeks ago you and i have talked about this you know from time to time briefly through the years but i only actually got to sit down and read that paper about three or four weeks ago and I was like laughing and crying and shouting. Like it was a roller coaster of like, it was incredible. So um, when, when we post this, as you're listening to this episode, if you go to the storychurchproject.com uh, slash uh, podcast, and you see the latest podcast series there um, saying no to headship theology, there's a link underneath that you can click and you can download every resource that I'll mention throughout the series. Yeah. And truthfully, I, I wrote that, that paper, I wrote that paper before the Adventist church had the general conference session where we decided not to ordain women or mm. at this point, not to let different divisions of the world decide whether to move forward with ordination. Yeah. So I, I wasn't rebelling against church authority. I was just searching the scriptures for myself mm. and yeah. I, I wasn't an assignment for anything. It was just me trying to unscramble my thoughts. So I've never written anything that long. That wasn't an assignment. <laughs> I was so blessed coming out of it. I just felt like, oh my goodness, this just blows my mind. And yet the seeds of it were sown when I first, as a 16 year old, read the first chapter of the desire of ages. That was, that was the moment for me that I thought, I think I might be willing to trust this Jesus. When as a 16-year-old for an assignment, I had to read chapter one, Desire of Ages, as I was starting out in my life and teaching Christ class. Up until that point, I was like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing, but I'm going to try it out because, you know, my life is miserable anyway. And that chapter changed me. I read it. I came to the end, Emmanuel, God with us. And I got tears in my eyes. And I thought, if this is who God is, I might be willing to actually serve him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really is where headship theology, where, where I started unpacking what was wrong with headship theology. When I went back to that chapter, it was like, well, that's, it's all right there actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So headship theology a simple definition is the belief that men are inherently ontologically, if you want to get all philosophical, um, supposed to be sort of above women. Um, now, one of the things you talk about in your paper is that this idea that men are supposed to be just like above women, that this is rooted in a misunderstanding of the very the very godhead itself that there's yes. there's a theological paradigm that kind of it doesn't really begin with men and women it begins with god's relationship within himself father son and spirit and then from there it attempts to extrapolate the relationship between men and women how it should flow and one of the points that you make in your paper that's just like really mind-blowing is that this picture of god that headship theology is dependent on is like literally the opposite of what Adventist theology has always stood for from its very inception. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. You know, Adventism, of course, started out back in the 1800s when women still, you know, couldn't vote, couldn't own property without their husband's permission. You know, those, it was a fundamental um, culture of 
patriarchy and male supremacy. But at that time, women were still kind of considered to be inferior to men biologically. And of course, you know, they're wearing corsets and fainting and all those kinds of things. Uh, But even in that time period, Adventists were putting women into ministry. In fact, it was an evangelistic issue that women were promoted in ministry in Adventism. People would not join the Adventist movement because we allowed women to speak. Um, Mm. Thanks to Ellen White, from the very beginning, our church realized, hey, we can't just say only men can be in leadership. So women became evangelists. They um, were in significant positions of leadership, even though they were often in positions that were supporting men. There were examples of women who were evangelists and um, teachers and did many kinds of things that were revolutionary in those days. So Adventism didn't start out with this idea that men were supposed to be over women because Ellen White herself was the person with arguably the most authority in the entire church. If the general conference president said one thing and Ellen White said another, the church went, okay, Ellen White is the one who's right, at least Hmm. (laughs) theologically. Practically, there were a lot of issues where men just didn't want to listen to Ellen White anyway. It's it's incredible because... I remember reading, um, and and this will, you know, I'll, I'll find the quotation for this so I can put it up in, um, in in one of the papers that I'll share on on the links. But that there was a, uh, there was a sort of like a comparison of the women who were in positions of authority within Adventism, mm-hmm. um, in the era before the church, before the 1920s, where the church kind of embraced fundamentalism, which goes hand in hand with headship theology as well. And, and there was like this, this sort of like graph representation of this is how many women we had in positions of leadership before. And then like immediately after it goes down to zero, you know, yes. it's like immediately after the church began to embrace these ideas that were never a part of its theological heritage. That's where you start to see this big sort of big shift taking place. So so let me ask you this this next question before we dive into like all the theological sort of unpacking the trinity and all those different things. Uh, I want to get a little bit more more personal here. What is it and I know you've answered this in 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 some small ways already, but I want to give you the opportunity maybe to give us a, a more of a panorama. Um what really made this a topic of interest for you where you were like, wow, I really, really want to figure this out. And I want to see where this rabbit hole sort of leads. You know, that's a great question. Um, I can only say that as I was studying the character of God, there was a really powerful book. um, What's it called? The Power of Humility by Leroy Moore. Yes. That I started reading. um, And that first chapter just blew me away. And I just thought, wow, this is this is so much more than I had discovered before. And around that time, I also started my master's in pastoral ministry from Andrews University. So this debate is swirling within the church. And I'm confused as to where I'm supposed to stand. And as I started studying more, I started getting this unsettling feeling that believing that men are exalted over women 
um, it's misrepresenting the character of God. And also at the same time, I was doing a lot of abuse work, helping women who were in abuse situations to escape. Most of them, Christian women, many, most of them, even Adventist women. And I started seeing this distinct pattern. The more patriarchal the family, the more likely abuse was. Mm. And I saw this also in you know, in research, documentation was solid. The more that a man believes he is over women, the more he can excuse doing pretty much anything. And I realized that, wow, this is basically like where white people believed that they were created higher than black people. When you believe that God has put you in a position that's higher than other people, you can rationalize pretty much anything that you do to them. And that was deeply troubling to me. You know, I've always been an anti-racist and I was teaching my children to be anti-racist. And I just realized we're teaching something that is causing, actually causing women and children to be abused by men. And that's not just an injustice to them. It's an injustice to these men who are taught, "Eh, here's a way to rationalize that what you did wasn't that bad. Mm. And combined with all of that is the fact that my oldest is a girl and she was planning to be a pastor. You know, she and both of my sons kept talking about how they can't wait till they grow up and they are going to be preachers. And that was an astounding thing to hear coming out of my daughter's mouth. Mm. I just I was like, well, you know, when I found out I was having a girl, I was thrilled. We're going to have a daughter, mommy, daughter stuff pink princess, you know, whatever. (laughs) When I found out I was having a boy, immediately my first gut reaction was now I can raise a world changer too. And that astonished me myself. Here I am a woman in ministry, knew I was called to ministry since I was 18, never planned to become a pastor or anything like that. But now when I found out I was carrying a boy, the first thought that entered my head was, now this is somebody who can lead the church. And I realized for myself, I cannot stand in the way of what God calls my daughter to do. And the more that I grappled with the issues of headship theology, as my daughter was growing up and telling me she's going to spend her life in ministry, the more I realized I've got to, I've got to break down the barriers for her. I've got to go ahead of her and run interference because I can take no matter what they throw at me. They can say whatever they want, derogatory things about me as a woman, trying to exalt myself to a place that only men should be in and stuff like that. Bounces off. I'm fine. But my daughter might not be able to do that. Mm. And then the more that I was teaching here at Southern, the more I realized this is affecting everybody's daughters. Nobody's Mm. coming to study theology anymore. No females. We have almost no women studying theology at Southern since the GC decision that women couldn't be ordained. Like the number of girls just dropped. And I realized this is a huge issue. So it's been a a growing alarm as I've Mm -hmm. seen the debate about women in ministry. And and especially that it centers so much around women trying to exalt themselves to a position that only men are supposed to have. And that's where I realized, wait, this isn't exalting ourselves to a position 
This is lowering ourselves to a place of humility. We've got the whole debate wrong. Now, don't 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 jump ahead though, because that that's like oh, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We, we're definitely. Gonna but this get is there. why I'm passionate. Yeah, yeah, because I, I like I absolutely love the way you frame this debate. You you haven't you you don't simply enter the this contentious arena, uh, this ping pong battle with your own paddle and, and ping pong balls. Um, you change the arena. You you relocate it to a biblical place. And, and for me, that's like what I found the most mind-blowing as I was reading through your papers. Like, you know, Nicole isn't just here picking out her favorite verses to, you know, throw back at the opposition who's got their favorite verses. Like the whole framework goes right back to the character of God, right back to the heart of God, uh, right back to everything Adventism has always ever been about. And from that place, it begins to unpack. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's what I was going to say next. I, I, like, I think when it comes to, when it comes to mission, because that's like, I'm a mission nerd, like I'm an absolute mission nerd. I, I talk about it all the time. You know, the Story Church Project, I'm, I'm slowly morphing it into a, like a sort of like an online digital school for post-church missionaries, um, church planting, post-church missional church structures and models and that's like i'm just a nerd in that space um we all should be mission nerds <laughs> we we really should yeah you're right that's another pot in our series but <laughs> yes but here's yes. the thing I, I think the thing that i'm passionate about is that i'm not just a, a, a nerd for mission I, I i i think it's probably more accurate to say i'm a nerd for adventist mission because i believe that the very heart and purpose of this movement is to reveal the truth about God's character, about God's character mm -hmm. of love, a, a character that has been maligned and misrepresented, as Ellen White says, throughout all of history, including Christian history. And, and when you look at theological paradigms, whether it's, you know, you know, like uh, Catholicism or Calvinism, sort of like the conservative evangelical Calvinists, um, and even a lot of the charismatic evangelical movements, you find replete within those theological systems uh, uh, just a flurry of abusive ideas about God. And yes. these abusive ideas, what I often explain to people that I'm studying the Bible with is your belief about God is like this abstract idea that's up in the clouds. You, you, can, you can picture it that way. But that abstract mm -hmm. belief is always going to trickle down into time and space. It's always going to trickle down into how you treat others, into how you view yourself. So if you have abusive ideas about God in the abstract, it will manifest in the tangible. It will manifest in how you treat others. Exactly what you're saying. If you have this belief that says, you know, men are above women and women are just supposed to submit and not complain and just do what, you know, uh, be obedient because that's how God ordained it. Well, that belief is going to trickle down into situations and scenarios and environments that justify abuse in the name of holiness. No, no, you know, to make it even worse. Yeah. So it's, it's like, for me, it's like Adventism is this radical like this is like the fullest manifestation of the Protestant Reformation. It's this radical, like, no, God is not like that. We're resisting those ideas. We're protesting those ideas. And we're going to flood the earth with a true message. Maybe not perfect because there's th things we don't understand, but with a clearer, mm -hmm. more, more cohesive message that communicates his heart. 
And so when I see ideas like headship theology, which are not Adventist, like it is nowhere in our history, right? Like this comes from like right. Cal- Calvinist circles, little pockets. Yeah, we actually, we got it straight from outside Adventism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But when I see these ideas coming mm-hmm. in and then Adventism is reinterpreted based on that, for me, it's like it completely kills the purpose of the movement because we are no longer flooding the earth with the glory of God's character of love. Cause now we have this new picture of God that's fundamentally abusive that we are communicating. And that's what I love about your paper yeah. because that's where it all begins for you. That's what really became clear for me as I was reading this paper It's like Nicole cares about women. That is so clear in this paper. Nicole cares about men. That is so clear in this paper. Nicole cares about the church and its witness to the world. That's so clear in this paper. But what's even clearer is Nicole cares about a true and accurate representation of God's character or articulation of God's character. And it all boils right back to that. So let's do that. Let's if, if you're comfortable going there, I mean, if there's something else you want to say, that's cool. But I suppose my next question would be, let's let's talk about the, the Trinity, right? Let's talk about God, the Godhead, how headship reinterprets that for us in what you explain in your paper as um, the difference between taking the lower place and mm-hmm. and sort of vibing for the higher place of power, right? So anyways, I probably butchered. I didn't say anywhere near as cool as you say it in your paper. <laughs> uh, let me land that plane no, so I can throw the ball back at you. <laughs> that's great. I think you're summarizing so well. And, and my mind is bursting with ideas because you're so right on what you're, what you're saying. Everything goes back to the root. You know, when I'm weeding in the garden and I find a, a tall weed that, has a bunch of leaves on it. I don't start pulling off the leaves. I know that's a waste of time. We've spent so much energy, so much money on the women's ordination debate in the church, but that's picking leaves off. We got to go down to the root, put the shovel at the Mm. root. And when we keep going deeper and deeper and find this root is thicker and thicker and just keeps going down, this is a tap root. Maybe we're onto something that really needs to be taken out. And this is what I, I have come to believe is it, everything is about the character of God. Everything is about who God says he is in his word. As I wrote that paper, I realized um, anti-Trinitarianism is going to come into the church if we don't deal with this. Mm. And sure enough, it has. It's been this sweeping movement that's actually pulling people out of the Adventist church. Happened at my parents' church. Some sincere people got swept up in anti-Trinitarianism, split the church, and, and it, they're by no means alone. This has been happening in a lot of, I don't know how much it's happening in Australia, but it's certainly oh, happening it's, it's, here it's, it's happened. It's happened in, um, slightly in one of the churches I pastored. Um, mm-hmm. But what ended up happening was there was another church close by that had a big sort of split on anti-Trinitarianism. And then some of them started attending mm-hmm. my church. And then, you know, yeah, but anti-Trinitarianism, it's the logical theological conclusion of patriarchal thinking. And and so some people have just been more theologically honest and said, well, if we believe this, this is where we have to go with it. And I admire their integrity and at least admitting it rather than going, no, no, we don't believe that. We just believe this. But as Adventists, we've got to all be more theologically 
intelligent and strike at the root, get the shovel all the way down to the tip of this root. And we will have such a better vision of the character of God. You know, I, I remember a conversation I had with Yuji Moscala, the Dean of the seminary at Andrews. Um, it was while we were on a lunch break in between classes. And um, uh, we, we'd been talking, you know, Dr. Moscala helped me so much in understanding more of the roots of what's going on with headship theology. He just, I owe so much to him. But in this one conversation, we were talking about some of the people who had been instrumental in the church in coming to the conclusions that they did with the Theology of Ordination Study Committee and things like that. And um, the topic swung around to one of the men that we both knew who had been instrumental in leading in the anti-women's ordination movement. And I happened to work in ministry alongside this man extensively. And I told Dr. Moscala a little bit of what it was like to work under this man. And I do mean under. Mm-hmm. And in, in conclusion, I said, you know, he, he lives out his theology. And Dr. Moscala said something so profound, so simple that it has stuck with me and it rings in my head so often. He said simply three words because I had said that man lives out his theology. Dr. Moscala said, we always do. That's all we've got time for today, guys. But if you tune in next week, we are going to be going deeper and exploring further, particularly in next week's episode. Nicole and I are going to dig into headship theology and the Trinity. What does headship theology tell us? about the character of God, and how does that line up with what Scripture actually tells us about the character of God. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be deep. So make sure you tune in and let your friends know this is happening. Share the link. Invite them to tune in as well so that we can all learn and grow together. All right, guys, that's it for now. I will see you next week. (laughs) 